Good day, everyone. My name is Stefan Pretorius, the Chief Technology Officer for WPP, and it is my pleasure today to welcome you to WPP's Metaverse and More Academy podcast, where we'll be discussing a wide range of Metaverse and Web3 related topics with experts from the WPP network and special guests from the industry at large. As we cover both established concepts and track new developments in this space, we hope this series is informational and inspirational. Thank you for coming on the journey with us. Please sit back and enjoy another exciting discussion about the metaverse and more. Hi, and welcome back to WPP's Metaverse and More Academy. Today, we've got Dale Immerman, and we are excited to dive into our first Metaverse 101 conversation. Uh, I'm Sarah Robertson, your host. Uh, Dale, how's it going? Very good. Thank you so much for having me on, on the podcast, Sarah. Yeah, uh, you definitely look like a professional podcaster. I know our listeners uh, don't get the visuals, but you've got a pretty awesome studio set up there. Thank you. Appreciate it. So tell me a bit about your background in Metaverse. Okay, well, great. Um, I mean, my, my background uh, has always been at the intersection of creativity and technology, um, looking at emerging technologies and, and how they converge. And I think what's really exciting about the metaverse is the concept really comes to life as a result of the convergence of a number of different technologies. And so because I've been really close to augmented reality, um, 3D work, um, IoT, cloud computing, etc., cetera, um, when these things started to emerge and mature and, and, and come together, um, the metaverse was sort of the next logical progression or, or, or step in, in, in what I'm interested in and, and now in my career. Wow, that was quite a stack of technologies that does paint a picture leading you towards a metaverse, which is sort of a, you know, a combination of many, many different technologies. What sorts of things did you, did you do on that path? Uh, are you a creator? Are you a, a tech are you, are you a storyteller what what's your what's your role I've always sort of thought of myself as a as a bit of a hybrid um, so you know I, I sit at the intersection of all of those things I I wouldn't call myself a, a technical person in the sense that I I can develop and code but I understand the fundamentals of, of software and and coding and so I'm able to speak that language. And at the same time, I'm I'm able to understand sort of strategy, um, as well as create creativity. So I've always been in a very unique position where I've I've almost been the glue that holds all of those different disciplines together, either in a project or an organization. Awesome! I'm so excited to have you on our team and uh, taking care of this metaverse situation, which needs so much glue. Uh, so could we start with maybe what's your take on it? Uh, we've already covered virtual worlds and blockchains and things like that, but I'd love to hear from from you, the hybrid. What is the metaverse? Well, um, I think one, one of your previous guests, uh, Luke Hurd, uh, gave me what I thought was the most entertaining description of, of the metaverse. And it, it went something along the lines of it's a term that was given to us as punishment because we couldn't agree on extended reality as as a term, um, so I've I've always really liked that idea. Um, I also try not to get too caught up in in a definition because I think 
you know, the metaverse is, is really fertile ground for creative transformation at the moment. And, you know, when something is, is so new and, and I suppose mostly conceptual, um, trying to put a label on it or trying to shove it into an existing box never really works. Um, and, and, and doesn't really do the term much justice, right? So I've, I've always been quite contentious, um, around the metaverse as, as the only person in an organization with over a hundred thousand people having the term in my title, people are often shocked when I say it doesn't exist. Um, and, and quite puzzled. Um, some people are hooray, you know, <laughs> finally someone who gets it. Um, but I think everybody has a different idea depending on the perspective uh, of, from where they come, right? Yes. I I love that uh, anecdote you gave about extended reality. I do think the word metaverse is a bit sexier and more brandable than, you know, ER, which would be a confusing acronym. Uh, but so many of these labels actually don't come from the creators or the technologists. They come from science fiction writers, right? They're the ones that invent these technologies decades before they actually exist. Uh, and you might be old enough to remember when the internet first became a thing, everyone called it cyberspace, oh, yeah. right? It was like the word and it was in every media language and it always rubbed me the wrong way. That came from, I believe it was William Gibson, um, a, an earlier sci-fi writer, and the word has fallen out of favor by far. I'm kind of hoping metaverse goes the same route and is just like a kitschy thing, uh, but then Mark Zuckerberg really owned it and ran with it. So yeah, Absolutely. here we are. I, I do remember those early days. Um, I remember surfing the web. Um, yeah, surfing. Nobody's said that in forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean that. I wonder what what our verb is for the metaverse. We're not surfing the metaverse. We're trolling, maybe. <laughs> I think by the end of the session, I'm, I'm hoping that we can come up with with, with a term for it. Um, the the metaverse verb. Yeah, coined here. We're metaversing mm, over mm. here. <laughs> so okay, it uh it exists because it's in your title, but it doesn't exist because it's just an imaginary concept. Uh, what should we tell our listeners about about what it is today? So the, the way I kind of look at it is if we're going to use the term metaverse, right, we, we, ought to, we ought to sort of look at where that term came from. So we know that it came from a science fiction book um, called Snow Crash um, by the author Neil Stevenson. Um, and in that book, what he really describes, and, and this certainly isn't verbatim, but from what I recall, it was a, it's a four-mile strip similar to that of Las Vegas. And at any given point, a thousand people can be there simultaneously in you know, realistic fidelity, um, indistinguishable from reality. Uh, the eighties are so funny, right? A thousand people at one time was like a big dream back yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the reality right now is that's a big dream today. Um, you know, we, we see all these headlines, for example, you know, Travis Scott has a concert in Fortnite with 28 million people, right? Um, that didn't happen exactly that way what what you had there was 28 million people watching a stream 
in instances made up of 100 people at a time in an extremely low fidelity. And so the reason why I say the metaverse doesn't exist is because technically we don't actually have the capabilities to deliver that simple definition that came from the book. We, we're unable to put a 1,000 people into a virtual um, world at this point at, at, a, at a high definition um, and have them simultaneously be there. It's just technically right now not possible. But I think the excitement really comes from the fact that people see the possibility um, and the inevitability of, of that. Um, my view is if I'm extremely optimistic, we might see that technical capability in five years. Um, more realistically, in my view, 10 years. And if we want to see something like that be adopted, it's probably 15 years. So that, that's why I kind of believe the metaverse doesn't quite yet exist um, tangibly right now. It's, it's more conceptual. But as I said, I think the buzz and the hype and the excitement um, exists because as we're seeing these different technologies emerge, um, we're seeing how that could be possible um, as each of these different technologies are maturing. So... What do you think is the holdup on getting to even the snow crash vision? Is it purely we have slow computers and slow internet connections? Is it a device problem? Or have we just not put enough clever software engineers on the problem yet? <laughs> so, or something else? So I, I think right now, we, we've we, globally, we, we've probably got the best software engineers and developers um, trying to solve all of the problems that exist. Um, or, or I don't really look at it as solving the problems as I look at it as more building out what's needed to make it happen. Um, but it's it's definitely a combination of a lot of things. So we we know that um, you know, cloud processing is is a very big growing growing space. Um, you know, this idea of real time three D rendering in the cloud um, is is taking off, and we're seeing huge progress in that space, um, particularly from companies like Epic and Nvidia, etc. So that's that's the first sort of hurdle where we're seeing a lot of advancement. The second hurdle is then, of course, connectivity, right? So 5G is by no means pervasive, definitely not globally. Um, and, and arguably, some people have said to me that they don't even feel 5G may be fast enough for this, which, which is quite scary because it's pretty fast. Then, you know, once you've had information process in the cloud and if you're able to get it at, at a fast enough speed, do our devices um, have the capability to process that information and then send back to the cloud? Um, and the answer is is no right now, in my view. And and then I think the devices themselves, from a hardware perspective, are, are also in their early stages, right? Um, because if you want a fully immersive experience, um, you're talking about virtual reality. And well, right now, virtual reality headsets are, are fantastic, but they're nowhere near the fidelity we need them to be. We're, we're still solving things like motion sickness, um, 
we're still solving things, basic things like People's eyes are different distances apart from each other. Right. Um, we covered the the women's headsets problem in a previous episode. Yeah, totally. And and then of course, you know, as people, we're we're pretty darn demanding, right? Um, so we don't want to be tethered, um, but we also want these things to last a long time. So battery technology also needs to advance. And so it's almost like Almost every single building block um, from a hardware and a software perspective has a little bit of a way to go um, before they all culminate in, in, in making the metaverse the reality that I think we all hope it, it could be. I love that explanation, uh, especially in light of the fact that um, Facebook's metaverse went viral recently. I don't know if you saw the tweet, but someone screenshotted the graphics from Horizon Worlds and said they spent $10 billion building this metaverse and it's just a, a blocky little polygon, right? And uh, maybe a day or two later, Mark came back and posted some renderings of what it will look like, what they're trying to get to. Um, and I, I'm sure he's feeling the same frustration. Like there are so many building blocks that need to improve before we can get to that vision. Um, but everyone just looks at what's here now and kind of, you know, waves their hand and says, well, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a funny story that's told by, I think it's the, the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. Love him. Um, he talks about being... He talks about being on the first flight that had Wi-Fi, um, and if I'm not mistaken, it was it was a flight, it was a Qantas flight, and um, people get on the flight, and the pilot announces, you know, oh, this is the first flight in the world ever with Wi-Fi, you know, brand new, experimental. Um, this is how you log on, and everybody logged on, and you know, 30 minutes later, the Wi-Fi stopped working, um, which which is understandable, right? But apparently what happened is people lost their toys and threw their toys out. And when the plane landed, people were complaining, oh, Qantas is the worst airline ever. The Wi-Fi didn't work. And basically, <laughs> like within 15 minutes, we as people created this unrealistic expectation of, of what should be um, and, and didn't really... I suppose we weren't really responsible consumers in in that instance, right? So I, I do feel for Mark Zuckerberg because pe people give him a, a hell of a hard time. But um, in truth, um, we probably wouldn't be having a discussion or this podcast or even discussing the topic, um, you know, if it weren't for perhaps a handful of people, including people like Mark Zuckerberg. Um, and I'm 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 all for a good trolling, right? Um, it's entertaining, it's fun, it's a humorous way to potentially shed light on some real issues. So um, I did participate in that, um, but but actually in his defence, because oh wait wait, wait. you participated <laughs> in the trolling of the graphics? Well, well, in defence of of of, <laughs> of Meta, um, because oh, okay. you know obviously ten billion dollars 
weren't put into that picture, right? Or into Horizon Worlds. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they it spent was not it a in, fair representation yeah, at all. I'm, I'm sure they hired a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of it went into developing hardware. I'm, I'm sure they Cloud haven't spent it all. Cloud infrastructure, like that's not free. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. And and so to, to give the guy a hard time, um, you know, w- one of the people who, who I, I did kind of push back on um, was a guy, a CEO of a business that builds virtual worlds <laughs> on other people's platforms might i say um and he had just been given i think 2.5 million euros investment and his his comment went like oh you you know you spent 10 million 10 billion dollars on and this is what you post and my response to him was like oh you've just been given 2.5 million euros and this is what you post um you know you should be focusing on building these these virtual worlds uh, instead of heckling um you know leaders in in the space so i i i really do admire what what meta is doing um i would say in terms of vr they they created you know they they took oculus and have really scaled and commercialized it. Um, I love my Oculus Quest 2. Uh, do I want it to have better definition and last longer? And could it be better? Absolutely. But um, when I have people over and they try it out for the first time, they're they're blown away. Um, they love it. And people get lost in it. And, and I think that's a clear sign that, that it is definitely immersive. Um, and then, you know, I think, if going back to what we were saying, you know, once once all of those building blocks, let's call them, are are established and mature, and and the platform exists, only then can we really unleash creative people onto that to to build amazing things. And for me, that that's the most exciting part about you know the metaverse, or or, or any aspect of it, or let's call it metaversal related technologies is. The things we don't know people are going to build or use it for, that, that's really where the excitement is because um, there is no best practice, right? Everything that's happening right now is happening for the first time ever. So arguably, how can they even be experts on it, right? It's, it's all really brand new. We say the same thing in the NFT space. Anyone that claims to be an NFT expert is... Uh, suspect because it's only been around for four years. I mean, maybe you're an expert, but it changes every single day. And I think metaverse is exactly the same. So that's a pro tip for the listeners. Be wary of people calling themselves experts. Um, Potentially they're experts in in emerging technologies, right? Like Dale, you strike me as someone that's got a, a long experience in that. But this specific technology is just way too new for anyone to to wear that title. Absolutely. And I mean, I'd even go as far as to say the, the metaverse isn't a technology. Um, again, it's it's con- it's a concept that's born out of a group of technologies. At least that's how I see it. Um, and, and, and I tried I try really to still things down to the most simplified version of what they are. Um, so you you know when you scrap away the sizzle and the sugar coating and the PR headlines, what what are you kind of left with, right? Uh, if you remove all the jargon, you know words like innovative and scalable and this. Um, I mean, how many companies have you seen with you know you get to their web page and it's like we build scalable, innovative, decentralized solutions for enterprise? It's like 
literally that means nothing. Hang right? on, let me take notes for my new agency website I'm launching after this. <laughs> so, you know, saying something like that, actually, it's just jargon. It doesn't actually mean anything. You're not highlighting a feature. You're not highlighting a benefit. You're not highlighting an outcome. Um, so... So, so yeah, it's 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 an interesting one that we do call it a technology. Um, but again, we 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 also have to be evangelists of of what we believe in and and where we believe we're going. And so, we have to create a language that everybody can understand, so that we can take them along that journey and get them to buy in, get them to become excited about it. Um, get them to be interested because we're bombarded with so much stuff. Um, everything's fighting for our attention right now. So we, we do need to create simplified language and simplified examples for people so that they can grasp the concepts. Most do. Some struggle. Um, and, and I think this is something, you know, you talk about the early days of the internet. I think we're we're probably sitting in a 1996 version of the internet yes. right now. Oh, that was like my favorite year of all time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the internet was small. It was only mine. Nobody knew about it. I was on the BBSs, right? Like it was this explosion was coming, and there was an electricity in the air, and nobody knew. And it feels exactly the same right now. It really does. A absolutely. You know, it, it was the, those early days where, where things were slow, things were clunky, but but you saw the possibility. And, and I think that's where we are right now. People see the possibility. The challenge is we're impatient, so we want it now. Um and, and unfortunately, we can't. So we're going to see a massive drop-off of people and interest. Um, but the core, the core, I suppose, industry will continue to drive forward. And, and as they make significant um, you know, endeavors along the way, they will recapture people. And, and I think it's also one of those things where it creeps up on you, kind of like the internet did, right? You know, one day it's like, oh my God, it's cyberspace, it's the internet, have you tried this, have you tried that? And, and now today it's infused in almost every single aspect of our lives and we take it for granted. So I think what's really exciting is that a lot of metaversal aspects are, are becoming quite pervasive without people knowing um, today, right? Um, a lot of people use things like augmented reality unknowingly. They're, they don't even know what AR is, but they're creating content with face filters on platforms like Snap and TikTok and Instagram. Um, and so we're going to see that happening more and more and more. And then I think one day we're going to kind of wake up and go, holy moly, like, we're in the metaverse. We're in the metaverse. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so I always laugh when people sort of say, oh, we, you know, we built the first metaverse this or the first metaverse that, or we're in the metaverse now. Because, well, I look at things quite literally. So it's, technically it's just not possible. But but I also understand there's, there's room for, could we call it poetic license? Um, and, and that's okay, right? But yeah, trying to get, caught up on a definition is 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 I think is risky because you get into this state of like analysis paralysis and then you never really move forward in 
in in understanding more or discovering more or perhaps taking part in creating or building, you know, this future. I love it. I want to come back to something you said earlier that I really liked, which was we're going to need to figure out a common language to be able to onboard a lot of uh, mainstream people into this new metaverse concept, which is like, it was like a little bomb you dropped and then moved by because it's such a huge task. Uh, and I, I want to bring it back to that internet analogy. Um, imagine trying to onboard people on the internet. What would you have said back then? Like, you can have email or you can call a taxi from your phone. Like there's just so many varied use cases. It's like you need many, many different messaging channels to help people understand the possibilities. Um, and I, I don't think metaverse people have wrapped their heads around that yet. They're still, you know, trying to, to sell snow crash uh, or trying to sell individual features. Uh, but nobody's really crafted a story that that's compelling yet I don't think have you seen anything that resonates um you know it's uh, so I do agree with you there I, I I haven't seen a lot of stories that that have been incredibly compelling in in I suppose a silver bullet kind of way something that everybody's going to just get and relate to and understand um you know there there are a lot of great books out there um, that people are writing, and and we're starting to see metaverse in the title of many books um, by many different authors. And what's interesting is, I suppose, like the internet, it's people will take the topic and break it away into their industry or sector, right? So you know, we see you know we see books talking about augmented workforces. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we we see terms like you know, the industrial metaverse. Um, for me... Or metaverse for mental health. That's an emerging sector. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and a very fascinating sector, uh, um, which, which I believe is actually going to be quite a large, a large realm. Um, uh, not, not even when the metaverse comes, but leading up to it, if we just look at AR and VR... And, and the role that they're going to play in in health and and science, I think it's 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 going to be significant, um, a, as it will be in almost every facet of any industry, in the same way that the internet um, has done, right? But um, I, I think one one commentator, for me, um, stands out amongst amongst the rest, and and that would be Matthew Ball, um, you know. And, and perhaps it's because I can relate to his type of thinking, which I find quite logical. And he, he looks at, you know, the actual underlying technology as opposed to having a conceptual view. And, and I think you need people who, who, who share those different perspectives. Can you give our listeners a, a quick uh, summary of who Matthew Ball is? So um, Matthew Ball is... Well, he, 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 I suppose, is someone I would call a metaverse expert, um, you know. Um, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you know, he's recently published a, a book 
um, he he wrote an interesting um, piece of content called the Metaverse Primer, which 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 sort of covered some technical fundamentals that that you know people should consider when talking about the metaverse. Um, you know, he's he's been in the media a lot recently because um, you know the title of his book Into the Metaverse. And you know how it will change everything was was actually on the cover of Time magazine, so he's clearly got some good pull because I've never seen anyone else have the the, the title of their book on the cover of Time magazine before, which is which is quite incredible. Um, but um, yeah, he he also runs a, a diversified holding company um, that does investments, and and they have what they call um, an e, a metaverse ETF, if I'm not mistaken, which which kind of pulls together a whole bunch of different listed companies that are contributing to the creation of the metaverse, uh, whether that be Microsoft, Facebook, Nvidia, Epic Games, etc. So so he he's very much in it from a quantifiable perspective. Um, as opposed to a subjective uh, perspective, and and for me that's that's quite important. Awesome! Uh, I will follow up on him, and we'll include some links in our podcast description afterwards. Yeah, and 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 hopefully we can get him on the podcast in season two when we when we have some external guests. Oh yeah, we'll 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 tag him when we post this on Twitter, so you know he gets excited that he was a subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we usually try to talk about what the future of our subject looks like. Where is this whole thing going? I feel like that's a loaded question with the metaverse because where we're going is where we imagine we are right now, kind of. We're just hoping to get to the real metaverse. Um, But can you give me some predictions that you have for how the metaverse might fundamentally change our lives in a way similar to how the internet did? Absolutely. So the the way I look at it is, you know, at WPP, we, we try and we've tried to kind of segment different elements that we believe are playing a part in the creation of the metaverse right now. And so, you know, that includes things like virtual worlds, um, augmented reality, NFTs, blockchain and Web3, um, VR, etc. And so if, if we look at, I suppose, the theme of the metaverse there, let's, let's frame it in where do the opportunities lie? How about that, right? So for me, I believe there are slow-burning opportunities, things that are on, on, on the distant horizon, things that are over the horizon, um, which I would maybe call the metaverse itself. And then there are sort of immediate opportunities, things that we can engage with and use and do now. And whilst they may not be the metaverse, um, they are what what I've been kind of referring to as metaversal aspects or, or metaversal building blocks. So if we go with an analogy of, you know, we're currently paving a road towards this emerald green metaverse, right? Let's call um, it a super down, highway. 
We're, we're paving oh, a great. super so, highway into the metaverse. So, so we're paving a super highway. <laughs> to, <laughs> I don't to, know if you remember that. That used to be what we called the internet too. <laughs> absolutely. So this is the super duper highway. <laughs> and and we're, pa- we're paving a road to the super duper highway. And, and it's, it's actually a 3D highway. It's not a 2D highway. Um, but if I look down and, and go, okay, well, you know, what are, those, what are those pavers right below our feet now and into the next couple of years, um, for me, obviously, gaming is 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 a very big space. It's not a new space either, and I th- I think at the core of gaming, um, we find the core of what's needed for the metaverse. Okay, so we it's the industry that is pushing real time three D rendering further than anyone else. Um, it's got established communities. Um, it's got great hardware that's always really pushed the boundaries. I mean, when you look at sort of the latest PlayStations or Xboxes and consoles and things, they they typically are, you know, some of the most powerful hardware that's available, right, for, for the price you pay. Um, but for me, I think where we really start getting a taste of of the metaverse is is augmented reality and and this this idea that it is all really powered by the camera right or, or sensors okay because in order for us to augment the world we, we need to be able to sense it so we need to be able to understand or at least our computers need to be able to understand what is it that's in front of us you know what are these objects um where am i what time of day is it um, how am I engaging with it? And so immediately there, you know, you, you start seeing the emergence of some of the early technologies like computer vision, um, machine learning, um, that give us the ability to actually track my face so that I can, you know, vomit a rainbow on, on Snapchat. Um, so it's <laughs> such an important use of so many PhDs time. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, you know, I mean, what's the big trend on the platforms right now? That, that funny crying face that, that no matter what expression oh, you I pull, you, that you, you're just sobbing. And right? applying it to twilight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's a whole bunch of technologies that enable us, us to do that. But the, the interface, I think, through which we experience that currently our phones is, is slowly evolving, right? So it's, it's almost like if you can imagine holding your phone out at arm's length and then slowly bringing it closer to your face. You know, the next iteration is going to be AR eyewear. Okay, and so again, not not really a new concept. Um, I think the leaders in that realm are, are Snap with their Snap um, AR spectacles. Um, you know, Meta is catching up a little bit there in that they they launched their partnership with Ray Ban um, to to create their I can't remember the actual product's name, but it is effectively equal to what Snap created in 2016, right? Um, Snap's new AR glasses are are quite fantastic, but they still have a long way to go. You know, the battery lasts 15 minutes. Your field of view is very, very small. The processing power is is limited. So the content is very simple, low poly counts or, or you know, poly is the term for sort of resolution in 3D, if if you will. Um, So... 
if we keep moving towards our face and we go closer than the glasses, we start ending up with contact lenses, right? It's like the next evolution. So there are companies who are building out that technology. Um, there's a company called Mojo Vision who's managed to get a single color LCD screen working on a contact lens. Um, and their next challenges are to to inside a contact lens have a battery and have connectivity and have sensors. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind. It's moments like this. I feel bad we don't have video for the listeners, but like what? Someone yeah. has actually built a, a functional contact lens prototype? Yeah, they have. I mean, it's not commercially available. It's, as I said, it's still one color, but it gives you a glimpse. But still, that's that's massive. Like that... One color is all it takes to get to two colors and then three colors, right? But exactly. when you have zero colors, there's there's nowhere to go. I mean, <laughs> you know, in those early days of the internet, we, we had 256 colors, right? And we had Microsoft Paint if we wanted to be creative. Um, see how far we've come. Um, and then if, if you really want your mind blown, well, you know, the, the question then is look at what Elon Musk's Neuralink is doing. You know, yep. And just so, put it in my brain. <laughs> so yeah. So so can we just put it in my brain? And I don't actually need any physical hardware. Um, it'll just tell my brain what to see. And and yeah, I I think this idea of you know pulling the wool over your eyes could literally be a thing. Um, and and that's where it really starts getting interesting. And of course, there's a lot of ethical questions around that. And people naturally go to like this dystopic, you know, chain of thought and, you know, they're, oh, who would want to be in VR and, you know, it's escapism and, but, you know, I like to focus on what are the opportunities and, and, and really how can this change people's lives? Um, how can this benefit humanity um, and, and that kind of thing? So, so going back to the question, you know, I think AR is, is going to be the most immediate opportunity as well as virtual worlds. Um, and virtual worlds, for all intensive purposes, are, are games, right? I mean, games have been our virtual worlds for the last 20, 30 years. Um, they're, they're, they've just become environments where there's a social element and more people can participate at the same time. So there's that extra layer of, of, of engagement which which makes it attractive, right? Kids kids can meet their friends. I mean, if if you chat to kids these days and and ask them, you know, what is it that you love about things like Roblox or Minecraft, you'll, you'll get a whole bunch of different answers. But if you keep drilling down, at least where I have, you know, it it always seems to land at the same space. Um, I'm able to do things that adults do that I can't do in the real world. I can drive a car, you know, um, I can go skydiving or I can do this or I can do that. Um, I can build a house. And, and these are things they can't do in the real world. So it really sets the imagination free. And, and I think that's really exciting. Um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, will argue, oh, okay, but it's not real and, you know, kids should be outside and, and, and playing in the dirt and they absolutely should be doing that too. But I think if, if they're not exposed to new technology, that actually could be a disservice, right? 
um, because, well, everyone else is. And so you could be, dare I say it, kind of left behind in, in, in some sense. Um, but we, we had an event in the US called Stream um, in May and um, Kathy Hackle, who, who's also a sort of a metaverse expert um, and has written a number of books. In fact, she, she commonly goes by the term the, the, the godmother of the metaverse, which I love. Um, yes, she will actually be a guest on this podcast soon. Oh, that's fantastic. She, she responded to someone in the crowd who, who kind of pointed those things out and, and said, but, you know, the thing is when, when my kids go into VR, to them, that is real. And you can't argue with that, right? When, when, when you have a child and they're playing with their toys and their, imagine, their imagination is, is running wild, that's real. It's real to them. And so who, who are we to say it's not real, it's not natural, it's not this, right? Um, you know, evolution, some, someone told me once, is, is basically um, us trying not to make the same mistakes our parents made with us on our children. And that's just something that every single generation gets kind of passed on, you know. And in doing so, we, we make our own new mistakes that they then will try and avoid you know, if they were to have children. So I know that's kind of deviating, um, but I think it's important to... No, I I love it. I love it. Touch on the social aspects, right? It's an important part of this. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just two nights ago, I, I kind of fired up my Oculus, which had been gathering dust for, for about a month or so because, you know, we had some friends and their kids came and they wanted to use the goggles. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and I saw a, a flight simulator app and I mean, I remember playing Microsoft flight simulator on my, you know, my 486 computer and it was so slow. And I remember we couldn't afford it like a really fast computer, like a Pentium or something like that. And so I always, <laughs> I always had to like oh, turn my res. Yeah, I had to turn my resolution down and, you know, the trees looked just like blocks of green and, you know, my friend, <laughs> you know, could see the fidelity and it was an amazing app. Um, but, you know, you kind of sat there with your keyboard or if you were lucky, you had like a bit of a joystick. And I, I tell you, it it blew my mind. Um, I got into a World War II fighter plane and I could see my hands wearing, you know, leather leather gloves and, you know, I grabbed the wooden rudder and, and I was flying around, you know, sh shooting the, shooting the, the competition. And it was so much fun. And I've never actually been immersed in something in the same way. And, and it was a very simple game. It, it was by no means technically as advanced as Microsoft's flight simulator was. Um, and so to me, it was real. And so for 30 minutes, I was, I was a pilot without the risks associated to it. And, and I think, you know, kind of summing that all up, the opportunity that this presents is for people to do things that they ordinarily couldn't or wouldn't or can't afford to. Um, and and that's, that's seriously exciting on all levels for me, whether it be entertainment, um, work and productivity, you know, socio-economically, um, 
every single realm will will be affected by this in different ways and forms. Do I think everybody will be sitting at home with a VR headset on, um, you know, eating intravenously, um, you know, like an episode of Black Mirror? No, I don't think so. Um, at the end of the day, we we still are humans, and what 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 keeps us human is our ability to create. You know, craftsmanship is what is uniquely human. It's something that even artificial intelligence, I believe, can't ever replicate. Um, you know, technology for the most part is very acute, um, whereas our level of craft and intelligence and emotion is extremely broad. And, and I don't think it's something we can ever replicate um, digitally with software or hardware or the combination of both. So, so I don't think we're going off into this dystopic world. But like any tool, whether it be, you know, a hammer, um, you know, it can be used productively to, to, to knock a nail into something, to build something and to create or, or it can be used to, to break a window. And I think, you know, the same goes for the internet. You know, you, you have a global society and within that society, you're going to have a blend of good and evil, if you want to call it that, and, and everything in between. And the metaverse is going to be no different, right? Um, because society is going to access it. Um, and just like we have to police the real world and, and you know, establish some kind of order um, that we hopefully all kind of agree on in some form of democratic way, we've had to do that on the internet. Um, individual platforms, you know, going back to Meta, have, have had to do that. Um, and so the metaverse is going to be no different, um, whether you're in a closed experience or, or whether you're in some kind of utopic you know, decentralized, interoperable, you know, world. Um, at the end of the day, as much as we desire sovereignty, when things go wrong, we want recourse and regulation to fix it. Some people do. <laughs> Look, you know, I, 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 I do give the guys in the crypto space a hard time because I think they're the biggest evangelists of, of, of sovereignty. Um, but, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm a borderline anarchist. And 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 the day you're a little overtired and you send some some crypto to the wrong wallet and it vanishes into the ether, you'll be wishing you had a regulator that could reverse the transaction, right? Um, and you you speak to anyone who's accidentally or or been hustled out of out of some cryptocurrency and lost something significant, and and I think they would share that view, right? Um, there's no one you can call. There's no helpline for crypto, right? You you you, you can't call any of the any of the um, the marketplaces and say, "Oh, um, I accidentally, you know, sent this to the wrong person. Can you reverse that?" Um, mm -hmm. But I can do that with my bank right now. And, and I mean, I'm I'm definitely not pro banks, and you know, not necessarily like pro capitalism or, or, or pro anything. But um, I'm just kind of observing how, how people are generally and um, what our needs and our desires are. And, and that we're also human, right? And, and part of human is, is being human, at least, is, is making mistakes and, and errors and, and trying to fix them. 
I would love to uh, go deeper on the the sovereignty conversation with you at some point. I think uh, it's a topic we haven't covered too much, and there's a lot of you know cultural reasons that people either love or hate that area. Uh, but we've been talking for a while. And I want to say this has been such a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate uh, so many of your your insights on this. Um, thank you so much. I I would oftentimes segue into some segments here, but I don't I don't think we need any segments. Like we've really run run the gambit here. Uh, but I would like to give you an opportunity to maybe answer a question I haven't asked you or address something that you feel needs to be talked about that we haven't, haven't hit on yet? Hmm. That's a difficult one. I would probably extend, um, some kind of advice to people. Um, and I would probably ask people to, to look into a concept or two to give themselves some, some context, and, and so the context would be to look at a concept called the reality-virtuality continuum. And so really what that is is, is this, this long scale, let's call it that. And it's not a time-based thing, but it's, it's a scale that you know, starts off at the point where we are now in reality. And if just let's just say going forward on the continuum is right, um, you know, the the very next thing that we hit is augmenting reality, right? Bringing digital objects onto real objects or into the real world um, and allowing real objects and digital objects to interface and engage with each other. And if you move further along that continuum, you get to virtual reality. And eventually, if you go all the way, you, you come to where I believe the metaverse sits. The really interesting thing, just as an aside, is if you go backwards on the continuum, you get a concept called diminished reality. Um, and there were papers written on this in the 50s. So everything we're actually speaking about right now has been conceptualized by people for many, many years, um, decades, in fact, um, and arguably longer. Um, and this idea of diminished reality, just for interest's sake, is the ability to, say, wear a pair of glasses that are able to remove real objects from your field of view. Um, so I actually saw an app recently that I would define as diminished reality. And it was a solution. It was an iOS app. Um, that allowed you to point your... The colorblind app. <laughs> um, it, it was an app that allowed you to point your camera into a room and it would pick up your walls and your floors. But then what it would do is, through your field of view on your device, remove all of your furniture so that your room was empty, so that you could actually place other digital furniture in to see it without your furniture there. And so it diminished the reality in order to augment it. And, and for me, it was, it was just wonderful. <laughs> it's really, really cool. And it's, it what was the experience? As you were talking about the reality, virtual reality continuum, I was reminded of the term, the uncanny valley. 
you remember when everyone started talking about that? It's the the idea where a human generate or a AI generated face feels a little bit weird uh, because we can sense when something's not quite real. Um, Absolutely. And I, I kind of feel like it's the same thing. Wouldn't you get that uncanny valley feeling looking at your room? Like there's just the juxtaposition between the two. It has got to be hard for our brains. Absolutely. Um, and I think when you do it on your mobile device, you know, you you obviously see all your things in your peripheral vision. So it's, it's I suppose, people would immerse themselves in it uh, to different degrees, but certainly uncanny, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, on the Oculus, they, they recently created an update that allows for something called pass-through. And so while you're wearing your headset, the cameras on the outside of the headset can actually show you your environment, which allows you to move around your real world without walking into things while you're wearing your headset. And so... You know, in the past, you've always had to create a little guardian area in which you experience your your VR, and and now your entire home effectively becomes a garden guardian area, right? You add all your couches and your furnitures into this this 3D like map, if you will, and you can start putting virtual objects in and around this, and within that would be your guardian zone. Um, but you could put up a big screen. So I haven't updated my Oculus yet. This this is out right now for everyone that has an Oculus. Yeah, it is. It it, it is a beta a beta function. Um, so, but but definitely worth exploring. Okay, so I still have to paint a little circle in my living room if I want to play Beat Saber. Yeah, you, you you're definitely going to have to do that. Um, so so yeah, it's the the reality virtuality continuum for me is 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 the best sort of model that exists in my view that can help us predict at the very least the order of how things are going to unfold um, as we move from a reality to a fully immersed metaverse um, experience. Um, The advice that I would give to people um, is probably the same advice I would give to people on any ordinary day when looking at a new opportunity. It's just be human, you know, and what that really means is just, you know, um, be open-minded, see how you can harness what is available now and today, um, what you believe is coming, um, understand you have the freedom to create and play a role in how this is shaped going forwards um, and and have fun. You know, just have fun with it because this is a lot of fun. Um, and, and I don't mean that in, in a vomiting rainbows kind of way. <laughs> I mean, th- this is fun in that it can help colorblind people see color. It, 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 it can help children um, ease their nerves before having a medical procedure. It can help real estate agents, um, you know, um, do a better job um, and allow people to experience homes without being there. It can help brands, you know, convey information and benefits about their products. Um, 
it's going to change the way we engage with with sport and sporting events. Um, something a, a Snap creator actually um, said, uh, I'd probably need to dig this up, but because I, I, I love to try and get those things verbatim, right? Um, so she, she said something like, you know, this, this isn't an opportunity to share your message um, you know, what's, what the metaverse is really doing is it's an opportunity. And this is from a branding perspective or a marketing perspective. Um, you know, we, we are, after all, a communications, marketing, and technology business. Um, what this really presents is the opportunity to let people experience and tell your story for you in their own ways. Um, and and that, that really stuck with me. Um, in in a big way. Oh yeah, it gave me goosebumps just now. It's a it's a wonderful model to look at. You know, uh, I don't have to craft a story. I have to craft an experience and let others tell the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so those would kind of be my my two things: understand the the reality continuum and and try and just remain as human as possible. Um, that that would be it. I mean, that's that's great. I'm I'm thrilled you dropped some hot academic alpha on us at the end here with a, a a model we can all go research and read up on. And I have never heard of it before, so thank you so much for sharing that. We'll we'll link it in the podcast description as well for others that are curious. Um, and I'm excited to try to you know wrap my head around the implications of reality being spectrum yeah yeah absolutely um i mean we, we've all had that discussion as kids or teenagers right what what if we're in a simulation oh my god my six-year-old asked me that like two days ago and i was like who are you like how could you even conceptualize this and then i realized netflix has a series called the hollow animated series about kids that get trapped in virtual reality but it feels like real reality <laughs> So she's super familiar with the idea of we're all living in a simulation. And wow, how far we've come as a society that we could tell stories that complex to humans that small. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 similar to the discussions we have of, oh, how, how do I know my red isn't your blue? I know, when, I love when, that one. When you see things, right? <laughs> Nobody's ever convinced me that, that <laughs> I'm not seeing things totally wild. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and there are scientific reasons that 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 teach us why that's not possible. But that's that's a topic for another podcast on color. <laughs> well, Dale, you have been such a fun guest. I've loved this conversation. I I definitely think um, we should talk again and go deeper on on some of these. Uh, and if if you think of anything afterwards that you think we should share with the listeners, uh, please send it over and we can include it in the links. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will do that. And if if there are any listeners who who want to chat to me about any of these topics, they they can of course find me on LinkedIn, um, where I'm probably most active. Oh yeah, and I'm also going to follow you on Twitter now that I know you're trolling metaverse CEOs for fun over there. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I will give you a follow back. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. 
Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been another really fun episode of WPP's Metaverse and More Academy. And remember, stay classy, Metaverse. Thank you for listening to the WPP Metaverse and More Academy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to learn more about WPP, the creative transformation company, find us at WPP.com or send us a note to newbusiness at WPP.com. That's it for today. We look forward to seeing you in the metaverse.